This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. It's early Wednesday morning at the European Parliament in Strasbourg. Vacuum cleaners are buzzing, desks are being polished, preparations are underway. The impressive Parliament building is usually a bit of a sleepy place. Not this week though, or at least not today, as it quickly fills up with thousands of people. Yes, it's that time of the year again, the annual State of the European Union address. Good morning, dear colleagues. Can I ask you to take your seats? Dear Ursula, the floor is yours. It was the fourth speech by Commission President Ursula von der Leyen. Maybe the last, or maybe not, as it's yet to be clear if she's seeking a second term as Commission Chief. Thank you very much, Madam President, Ministers, Honourable Members. Some visitors had no idea about the speech, like these schoolchildren from Germany who spoke to our producer, Dionis. Do you know what is happening today? No, really, no. No? The State of the Union speech? No, no. No, no. No. But others had high expectations, like these students from Hungary, hoping that von der Leyen would address what they see as a crisis in education and rule of law concerns. It's a special day today here in Strasbourg. We know that. Yeah, are you going to be listening? Hopefully. Uh, Hopefully, yeah. Do you perhaps hope President von der Leyen mentions Hungary. If she doesn't, that would be a pretty big mistake because I think if we have Hungary as a Russian Trojan horse, it can destroy the whole unity of the EU. Or this environmental NGO worker. We're focused on environmental policies, so we're hoping to hear you know, about the progress made on that and what's planned for the future and, um, and where that leads us to with the next parliament that will come after the European elections in uh, June, I think. With expectations running high, at least for some, did Ursula von der Leyen meet the moment? I'm Suzanne Lynch, Politico's Chief Brussels Correspondent. And on today's bumper edition of the podcast, we've gathered together members of the European Parliament for a lively discussion to get their views of the State of the Union address. But first, let's bring in my colleague Sarah Wheaton, our Chief Policy Correspondent. Sarah's going to break down the highlights of the speech and how it has landed in Brussels. So, Sarah, what's your takeaway from this speech? I mean, what are some of the main points that Ursula von der Leyen hit on in this speech? 
Well, so the commission president had a few different missions in this speech. And traditionally, this speech is laying out the commission's vision for the year ahead. But this year is a little weird because it's not even a full year. The next European Parliament elections are in June, and people kind of see things dying down a little bit legislatively. So she wasn't able to kind of give a normal speech. So instead, people were listening for how does she want to define her legacy? And does she want a new mandate? And then if she wants a new mandate, what does she kind of see as her main policy points for making that case for another five years as the head of the commission? So one of those big points was she came out very strong, calling for a probe into Chinese subsidies for electric vehicles. So I can announce today that the Commission is launching an anti-subsidy investigation into electric vehicles coming from China. (laughs) Europe is open to competition, but not for a race to the bottom. That was one of the big takeaways of the speech. Are we now on the cusp of a trade war? How is this probe going to work? Um, And if Politico had reported that France, for example, had been putting pressure on von der Leyen to do something about this issue, about electric vehicles. Sarah, I mean, Ukraine is obviously one of the big topics here. We got a lot from her on the whole question of Ukraine and enlargement. Yes, in fact, Ukraine is a really important kind of centerpiece for von der Leyen's general legacy and her case for her potential case for another mandate. She's argued that she has united the bloc on two main areas, on on the coronavirus crisis and on Ukraine in terms of its response. And so she really made kind of a strong case for making a path for accession for Ukraine. And she also announced an extension of the temporary residence permits for Ukrainian refugees. This house has said it out loud. The future of Ukraine is in our union. The future of the Western Balkans is in our union. The future of Moldova is in our union. And I know how important the EU perspective is for so many people in Georgia. Interesting there, Commission President, you know, really trying to call Europeans to hear the moment. She talked about the call of history and saying that, you know, Europe effectively has to step up and look at this whole enlargement project. Interestingly, she also left the door open possibly to EU treaty change, saying that the EU needed to look at its own internal processes. And I will always support this House and all of those who want to reform the European Union to make it work better for citizens. And yes, That means including through a European convention and treaty change if and where it is needed. So no doubt uh, there'll be a lot of discussion about that in the weeks and months to come. As you said there at the beginning, Sarah, I mean, was it a campaign launch or was it not? I mean, it's the big question all in our mind. Will von der Leyen run for a second term? She didn't uh, refer to it in the speech, that's for sure. Well, she sort of did, uh, you know, she, and she actually came out right away and mentioned that like her first line in the speech was about the coming European Parliament elections. In just under 300 days, Europeans will take to the polls in our unique and remarkable democracy. 
As one former European People's Party campaign director was telling me, look, she even gave herself a timeline. She said, we're 300 days away. If that's not sort of an unofficial campaign announcement, uh, we don't know what is. So I spoke to several speechwriters and communications experts right after the speech, and they all just said she answered the question without answering it. She definitely wants another chance. That is fascinating. I mean, so part of this and whether she runs for a second term or not, it was her final State of the Union speech of this mandate, of her five-year term. So a lot of it was about her achievements. So, you know, we heard her about the Green Deal. Four years ago, the European Green Deal was our answer to the call of history. About equal pay for women. With the Directive on Pay Transparency, we have cast into law the basic principle that equal work deserves equal pay. There is not a single argument why, for the same type of work, a woman should be paid less than a man. All these issues that she went through, I mean, there was a lot she didn't talk about. She didn't talk about rule of law. She didn't mention Britain. She didn't mention the United States, which I also thought was significant, given that she is a commission president that is extremely close to the White House. Some people might think too close, and maybe that's why she didn't want to mention America. But this EPP angle, I mean, one of the fascinating things we were writing about on the eve of the speech was that, you know, would this be a bit of an olive branch to the EPP? That's her own political party. And she has come under pressure from them, particularly Manfred Weber, another German centre-right politician who's the head of the EPP group, saying about criticising the Commission's stance on climate change mitigation strategies at the Green Deal. You know, she talked a lot about listening to farmers, talking about businesses. Was this about playing to the EPP gallery? Absolutely. And worth noting that her comments about agriculture and biodiversity were in German. Ich möchte heute unseren Landwirten meine Anerkennung aussprechen. So speaking directly to that audience, in, literally in their language, this is also, I think, going to be seen, at least the early reaction at this was that this was a major kind of peacemaking mission with her own political group, which would have to run her campaign if she runs as the Spitzenkandidat or lead candidate, really trying to align the message on farming and climate rules, stressing not only her commitment to climate, but also her commitment to competitiveness, to businesses. Um, Then we heard Manfred Weber, the head of the EPP, come out afterward and talk about the threat of inflation. This week, the European Commission lowered the economic outlook. And inflation is hitting all Europeans hard, the poorest even harder. That's the biggest social question today. He also tried to say, look... We're not trying to destroy the Commission's whole climate agenda. There are only two out of 30-some-odd elements of the Green Deal that we're a little hesitant about. And we welcome the new phase of Green Deal. To be clear, we as EPP supported 32 out of 34 Green Deal files. We believe in the basic idea of the Green Deal. It's our generation's obligation to deliver. But we also listen to workers, to farmers, to SMEs, to youth, So we really saw these two kind of frenemies trying to show a public face of getting along. And of course, one of the other uh, issues she mentioned was migration, the need to get that migration pact over the line uh, before the end of this mandate. The Parlement and the Conseil have an occasion historic to make it happen. 
Sarah, what are you hearing from people about how this speech landed? I'm thinking, you know, the lobbyist community that you cover very carefully, the business community, you know, the Brussels bubble. I mean, what's the takeaway here? We say that that von der Leyen is running a coalition commission, essentially. And you heard you heard Weber saying repeatedly the von der Leyen majority. The von der Leyen majority made it possible. And so she was really trying to get a little something in there for everybody. Um, our colleague Nick Van Hooker has an article out about kind of the different political gifts that she gave. So yes, she was throwing some red meat to the conservatives. And yes, she was, you know, satisfying Macron in France with going after China uh, on electric cars. And then you even just heard her kind of name check different constituencies. So she gave a big tribute to farmers. But then she also talked about having this European social summit and involving labor unions, you know, in the and the core of the collective bargaining process and kind of confronting employment gaps and inflation and that sort of thing. We must focus on the challenges facing the labor market, from skills and labor shortages to new challenges like AI. This is why, together with the Belgian presidency, next year, we will convene a new social partner summit once again at Val Duchesse, the future of Europe will be built with and by the social partners. This is our task. So you just really, it was a long speech. It was over an hour, very policy oriented, but that allowed her to kind of go down the list and find a little something to give to everybody. Fascinating stuff. Thanks for joining us, Sarah. Thanks for having me, Suzanne. Next up, We've gathered together members of the European Parliament for a lively discussion following the State of the Union address. Stay with us. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The commission president spoke for more than an hour. And afterwards, the more than 700 MEPs were eager to share what they thought. Coming out of the hemicycle, EU Confidential bumped into two of them a Dutch and a Polish MEP, Tineke Strick from the Group of the Greens and Radoslaw Sikorski from the European People's Party. In general, I found that European values were not so often mentioned as in previous speeches. And then if you come to the issue of deals and dealing with third countries, she was actually very transactional, I would say. She was praising the deal with Tunisia 
and saying we should have similar deals with other countries, completely ignoring what we see since then or emphasizing why the migrants and refugees in the first place started to flee Tunisia. So no mentioning at all of the human costs of such a deal and the responsibility of the EU to take care and to make sure that our external actions do not undermine rights of people. I mean, it fits in the whole trend, of course, to outsource the responsibility for refugees and migrants to outside of the EU. And it shows even more that the European Parliament really must be very vigilant and proactive because if you talk about values, then we are becoming completely not credible anymore. So, Ursula von der Leyen proved that we have a good European, a grown-up, a visionary at the head of the European Commission. I was moved by her references to the uh, Ukrainian refugees. I was pleased she's confirmed that we'll be supporting Ukraine, whatever it takes, and with serious amounts of money. And I also liked her uh, serious and honest assessment of what it would take to have another large enlargement. That this is going to be an opportunity and a challenge which we have to seriously uh, address. And I think she has given member states and member governments serious food for thought. And I just hope that um, political passions and europhobia and demagoguery in some member states, including my own, don't denigrate and don't waste this opportunity to have a, a serious discussion. Overall, I, I think she's confirmed yet again that this custom of having a State of the Union address is a good one. And uh, she's given us food for thought. Indeed, it is a lot to digest. So we summoned our very own Eddie Wax, who covers the European Parliament for Politico. Eddie sat down in the Parliament radio studios with a group of MEPs hailing from across the political spectrum to discuss the Green Deal, Europe's industrial ambitions, social policy and, of course, Ukraine. So welcome to EU Confidential. It's great to have you here with me. I've got three great MEPs in the studio with me to discuss what we've just been listening to, all of us, in the hemicycle of the European Parliament in Strasbourg this morning. So with me uh, in this room here, in the bowels of the Parliament, I've got um, Eva Maidel, who is an MEP from Bulgaria for the EPP. Hello. That's the centre-right group in the Parliament, the biggest group at the moment. Um, I've got Karen Melchior who is a Danish MEP from uh, the Renew Group, a centrist group. Hello. Hello. Nice to be here. And I've got Mark Botenga, who is from the left group, and you're from Belgium. I am indeed. Hello. Great. Hello, everybody. Um, so just to kick us off, I really wanted to focus on just a few themes from the speech, um, starting off with the Green Deal, which has been the flagship policy initiative of this European Commission since 2019. And now von der Leyen really talked about how we're in a new phase, we're in an implementation phase. And there's more of an emphasis on businesses and how it's going to impact citizens and their lives. But I want to start with you, Mark. I mean, do you think that this is actually marking a real negative trend where we're moving away from more legislation on climate change and we're trying to think about more companies and and, uh, what does it mean for uh, businesses and maybe not enough for what does it mean for the future of our planet? Well, I mean, once you get legislation, obviously you need to implement it. I mean, so there's a there's a dimension of implementation which I think is is, is necessary. The question is, uh, will it impede uh, more uh, more measures, which is to be seen? 
And obviously, I mean, in the run-up to the elections, of course it will. Uh, we have seen the increasing opposition to the Green Deal uh, from other groups, from groups on the right, on the one hand. And on the other hand, I need to say that there's a lot of opposition as well, which I'm feeling uh, when I go and discuss, discuss uh, the Green Deal with workers, because they're seeing that although there's been a lot of talk about the just transition, that in the end, they're going to pay for it. And this creates a lot of uh, friction, a lot of anger against the Green Deal, against the Greens as a party on the one hand, but otherwise just more generally as well against the Green Deal. And so this lack of a just transition, and you saw it today again, I mean, social aspect was completely absent from the speech. Yeah, it's going to definitely delay and render our climate transition less effective. Okay, well, we haven't got the Greens here to defend themselves at the moment, so maybe we'll lay off them for a second. But someone who's wearing a green blazer from the European People's Party as ever, you're sitting in front of me. Uh, Mark mentioned how parties to the right, I mean, I think he was referring to your party, that's been really quite critical of, you know, the more environmentalist agenda and pushing for what we heard today from von der Leyen, who's also from your same political family. Were you happy with the new sort of industry emphasis that she gave to the Green Deal? Well, look, the way I see this is that five years ago, we were in a very different situation compared to today. So back then, we were able to set ambitious targets, and they were the right targets, and I do still believe they're the right targets. But faced with multiple crises today, I think we have understood that in order for us to keep our promises on the ambitious targets, we also need to become a little bit more realistic and we need to listen to our citizens and their concerns. And I think today's speech is realistic, while still abiding to reach the ambitious targets, in the same time providing a vision of what has to be done in order for our way of life in Europe to continue to be sustained. And that, in my opinion, could be done if our economy continues to grow. Okay. And Karen, do you want to come in here? And what do you think about these two? The, you know, both of these previous MEPs, you know, actually are quite critical about the the, the need, uh, or so far, how much emphasis has been put on the impact that these policies will have on on citizens across the 27 countries. I think there is more of an acceptance, both in Ursula von der Leyen's speech today, and also in the population as general after this summer, to have a more ambitious Green Deal. Here we're looking at how to implement it, how to make it realistic and changing also, as was mentioned by the Commission President, that it's more industry policy than it's climate policy now when we're looking at the Green Deal. And a lot of the industries were being mentioned as clean hydrogen, but also wind power. So that's, I think it's looking at how to do it and which industries that we would like to have an emphasis on. Mm -hmm. And then I think at the same time, the strong focus on biodiversity is quite interesting as well. Also looking at speeding up permissions for building out wind power, that might actually end up being in contradiction. Also when she was talking about Vadenhavet, which is to the southwest of Denmark, and the biodiversity and the importance of protecting that, how does that fit into expanding wind power and sort of combining the need for clean energy as well as biodiversity? If I met yeah, very, very briefly to, to chip in, I think four years ago when the big green targets were, were announced, um, I continuously said ever since then that we could only achieve them should we have a very strong industrial and also digital strategy. Because the goals per se are so ambitious that we either stop living, of course I'm exaggerating a little bit, or, you know, we need to find the technological advancements and innovations in order for us to reach those targets. And I think what was refreshing is to basically say, 
what we heard in the speech was basically say that in some areas, such as uh, wind turbines, uh, we were leading, but the industry faces extreme difficulties today. So it's good to be sober mm. and to understand the situation today in order for us to be able to craft the right measures uh, for the years to come. And talking about new technological sectors that, that should, that, you know, where Europe could be the leader, the global leader. I mean, the big news announcement I think that she made was that she's opening this probe, this investigation into dumping from China of electric vehicles. So China is massively subsidizing the creation of of EVs, electric vehicles there, and they're coming into our markets. Mark, what do you think about this more kind of, I would say, protectionist push from von der Leyen? Well, it's a very interesting choice and not a very surprising one that she targets China. Uh, she could have spoken about the EU-Mercosur agreement uh, to see how she feels about that, if that's not going to create uh, problems for and then for agriculture, for example, here. To be honest, I mean, protectionism, who are we protecting? The concept here is to protect uh, European big business. But it's always very, very dangerous. Why is it very dangerous? Because it's, it sounds very nice to say in a speech, and we will be looking at it, and we will tackle Chinese. I mean, the Chinese are developing their industry. They give a big part to the public uh, sector in this, which is something that Europe has not done, which is one of the reasons we're not uh, getting to the, the, the targets or we have it so tough to get to the targets. But obviously, protectionism can work two ways. So if you impose protectionist measures on a country, and this goes from green steel to anything else, those countries, and China can do that, we know that, uh, might reply. Uh, and this way it becomes a self-defeating strategy where in the end, the only countries you're still uh, trading with are what the United States and, and, and some countries you feel stronger. As. So she so, could be on the way to, a, you know, she could be provoking a trade war with China. Yeah. Well, when uh, Donald Trump was saying these kinds of things, you know, a lot of people were saying, uh, and, you know, I'm not a big fan of Trump, Donald Trump. That's, that's uh, not necessary to say. But people are saying, you're going to trade war. And that's extremely dangerous. So I think this, dy- this, this dynamic towards uh, trade protectionism, really focusing on one country because it's more about China than it is about cars, mm. is not the way to go. Yeah. And there was a lot about China in the speech. I mean, for the first sort of 20, 30 minutes, it seemed like she mentioned China more than she mentioned Ukraine. Of course, she came to Ukraine, you know, a lot towards the later part of the speech and probably for a rhetorical reason that she wanted to end on on that question of enlargement. But before we move on to sort of Ukraine, Russia's war, do either of you like to come in here on, on this question of China and, and competition? I think this is moving towards being not less naive towards China because we've had for many years the WTO is the only sort of game in town and we, as long as you sort of adhere to the agreements uh, by the letter but without actually having sanctions, then it's okay. And I think this is looking at, okay, we cannot expect China to actually have been following the rules that we've agreed with them. There is a degree of subsidy, there is a degree of state control of uh, Chinese industry that is not fair, that is not in accordance to the sort of spirit of the rules. And we need to act upon that because otherwise we'll see all of our industries going the same way as the voltaic solar panels. Okay. Um, I would yes. like, yes, also briefly. Um, well, it is again very refreshing for me that there was a big emphasis actually on China. I think it's important that we realize that we should not be looking 
towards Europe from inside, but we should more so look at Europe also from outside when we propose legislation, when we propose the way we move forward. Um, I have been an advocate for a long time uh, that we should talk China, that we should perhaps have a renewed vision on China. We have differences in the EU, but I'm glad that the commission president is leading on this topic and she's setting the scene. First of all, she mentioned that she would like to de-risk wherever is possible. I think this is a welcomed initiative to have an investigation into electric vehicles. But I think also because for the purpose of this discussion, we should not be looking at this as a piecemeal. This is part of her, you know, of a global strategy of strengthening further international cooperation and a couple of other points that she had in her speech. We're in a global race, not just when it comes to clean tech, but to tech in every aspect. So we definitely need to sober up mm-hmm. uh, as a European Union when it comes to China. And this was it was it was good that it was mentioned. We're nine months away now from the European elections where all your jobs are going to be up for grabs again. Um, I'm not going to ask each of you if you're standing again, but I do want to talk about um, one thing that Mark mentioned earlier, this kind of social element, the social dimension. And um, there's no one representing the the second largest uh, group in the parliament, the socialists, but their leader, Rache Garcia, did talk about how she really would have appreciated more in von der Leyen's speech about the real impact on people's lives, similar to what Mark was saying, of different economies, you know, we've got Germany's economy is not rolling like it used to. Uh, We've got, you know, rising inflation. And that's obviously we've had an energy crisis. So I want to think about those two areas with you you three. I mean, you've got the elections coming up. Do you really think that this speech by von der Leyen spoke to European citizens? One extra thing for me, I mean, she made this a gaffe, a slight gaffe, where she talked about honourable member states. She, instead of addressing you guys, honourable members. Honourable member state, honourable members. The next sentence is, this is on our shared interest, Parliament, Member States and Commission. (laughs) So it was almost as if she was addressing herself to the heads of state, the governments, the sort of 27 people around the table of the European Council. What level of connection do you think that this kind of speech made with citizens and how could that influence them coming out to vote in June? Well, not at all. I don't think I don't think it will connect much with citizens outside of of the sort of bubble of interests of European policy, and I think it's also her gaffe about mentioning member states, sort of also shows the reduced role of the European Parliament during this mandate. There has been going from crisis to crisis, and the member states and the Commission have preferred sort of sidestepping the European Parliament, and I think we really need to step up to put our sort of foot in the door and actually have an influence on the development that there is. It was a remarkable speech in the sense that she managed to avoid every single concern that people actually have. Like uh, there was a poll coming out, a European poll last week, I believe, saying that uh, about 30% of Europeans today need to skip meals because they can't afford three meals a day. Uh, 46% of Europeans are afraid to uh, turn on the heating when they are cold. Uh, We've got 100 million Europeans at risk of poverty. And to those people, she didn't propose anything, not a single social measure. Does that mean she she, she pushed towards a social summit in in Val Duchesse, a castle uh, somewhere outside Brussels? But that's incredible. So no, this speech is not going to resonate. And even on industry, 
because we were talking about China, she avoided the main threat to European industry today, which is cutting ties with China, which would be a disaster for German industry, for example. But the main target today, who targeted us? The United States with the IRA, with the Inflation Reduction Act. And this was also absent. You know, so this geopolitical agenda, this nice speech and whatever migration mm -hmm. she mentioned, but the social concerns of people, they were absent. And so people will not listen to this. Okay. I would disagree there. I would say that the investment in clean energy and investment in industry was there from Ursula von der Leyen. She didn't mention the US uh, by name, but the investment in industry and clean energy was there. And also, I don't think that it should be at a European level where we decide how much money is paid out to individual families. It's an obligation for member states to address that and do their social policy well. She did address the lack of need of workforce and a lot of industries, small and medium-sized enterprises, they cannot get the jobs filled. Uh, the tourism sector has been suffering this summer because we don't have the skilled workforce that we need. And there, I think, she should have been more ambitious on migration. She should have said, okay, how do we actually attract people to come and want to live and work in Europe? And there, I think, she failed. She was mentioning the, a deal with Tunisia as something good, whereas we're completely leaving behind the Democrats in Tunisia and the civil society. She said she actually wanted to replicate that memorandum of understanding that the EU has has sort of tentatively struck with Tunisia with other with other countries ever. Do you think that this is that is a good approach to be basically paying people with questionable autocratic um, um, records billions, you know, millions, millions of euros of, of public money to basically get them to keep people out of the EU? I just wanted to give a, a little bit of a different take on the connection uh, with citizens, if I may first, yeah. um, because I think both the Commission President and the Commission of the uh, and the President of the Parliament have done a very good job in the past couple of years of trying to cut the gap between the European institutions and citizens. I do understand that it's very difficult. I think we as members experience that as well. It's very difficult to translate. Um, the policies we are working on, sometimes they are very visionary or forward-looking. What is going to happen in five to ten years? The local agenda and that of the citizens is dominated of today, tomorrow, very often of what happened yesterday. But nevertheless, I think they have tried their best to be as engaged, also on a communication level, uh, through established channels, through social media, but also in a personal level of bringing the institutions closer to citizens. So I think we have seen a shift in the way communication has been done. Lots of memes coming out of the European Commission these days. Well, sometimes humor can help connect with citizens. Um, so um, I think um, this will definitely help with the engagement when it comes, when we come closer to the European elections. Okay. And just quickly on migration, because the EPP, your, your, your group has, you know, with Manfred Weber has been championing this, this Tunisia deal criticized for human rights reasons by those on the left. Von der Leyen seems to be certainly doubling down on this Tunisia deal as, as a blueprint for other countries and maybe in that northern African region. Well, I'm not one that deals too much on that topic uh, in my political uh, group, but I support the efforts of my political uh, group. We need a solution and it's better to be proposing a solution rather than not proposing one. Okay. So I just wanted to turn to the question of enlargement. I mean, you know, von der Leyen really did make a lot of her speech about not just bringing Ukraine into the EU, something that she said again that she would be you know, happy to do, obviously having all the boxes ticked and the whole process gone through with, with dots and crosses. Um, but she talks about a union which could possibly have 30 plus members. 
when do we think this, you know, she didn't give a timetable, unlike, you know, some other European presidents that have been making headlines in the last few months. Um, she didn't talk about 2030. She didn't talk about any dates. So, you know, was this simply playing to the crowd or was this was this a, a, a kind of new geopolitical era that she was really ushering in, you know, with Russia's war? And now we're going to be countering that by expanding the EU. What What do you guys make of that? I think it was interesting that she, the only 30 that she was mentioning was the number of member states in the future. We need to look at enlarging the European Union because we need to give Ukraine and others a perspective of joining because the war will last a while longer. And at the same time, we need to include Ukraine more into the club and more into the European Union. Just as they in defiance are living their lives and celebrating life, we need to have that as an act of defiance to Russia, not only sending tanks and ammunition to Ukraine, but also bringing Ukraine and other candidate countries closer into the European Union. First of all, I think uh, the president is genuine in her remarks for enlargement. I think the issue here is how exactly this is going to happen. And this is the conversation that we should be having. And the earlier we start having that conversation and the earlier we bring member states on board, then we can have a proper roadmap and a strategy. Um, I remember that just a couple of weeks ago, I was at a meeting with Ukrainian members of parliament. And, and of course, I very, uh, you know, vocally, as I have done in the past, um, express also my support for Ukraine, but also others uh, to join the European uh, Union. But I said, um, I understand my words are somewhat hollow, because we don't know what's the plan. How is this actually going to happen? So if we put more effort into that, I think then we can make things more tangible and we would be also taken uh, much more serious. Yeah, well, we're, I suppose everyone in Brussels and I suppose many people in Kiev and, and in Ukraine are waiting with bated breath for this enlargement report, which is the sort of next procedural step that the Commission is going to come forward with. And von der Leyen didn't really preempt that at all. And there was nothing really new on that. So sort of continued hope for Ukraine, but not much more. But Mark on no. the, yeah. I think, first of all, it's not really new. I mean, the, the desire of the European Union to keep on enlarging uh, has always been there. I mean, we've had Turkey for ages on the list uh, of, of potential new member states. There's always been this discussion, like how far to go. But there's never been like a line drawn clearly like Europe or the European Union ends here. Uh, so it's not really new. It's true that the Ukrainian debate is done as a tool, let's say, in the war currently. But at the same time, there are criteria, uh, there's a discussion ongoing. And let's be honest, the first thing, the first priority should be to end the war. Uh, and there's way too little discussion about this in the European Union, also in the European Parliament. If you look at the United States, there's a big discussion on how to end the war. How it's will very it easy to end the war. Russia, leave. Russia leaves. Well, yeah, and exactly how are you going to do that? Because that's that's a slogan, you know, that's a very superficial slogan. It's sound, just as superficial as saying no, 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 to end the war. No, that's exactly, that's a soundbite they fed you and that you keep repeating everywhere. But that's not actually a solution. The question would be to find the solution through diplomacy. Because when the U.S. Army today, no, when, let's let Mark finish when, and then I'll give you a When today the United States Army, the Pentagon, mm -hmm, needs to look at the fact that today by military means, yeah, freeing the entire of Ukraine, it's not working. Okay. This is not what I'm saying. This comes from Mark Milley, chief of staff of the U.S. armies. Okay, good then we should look at other ways of doing that. Then we should look at how can we fight 
and how can we go back to a sovereign Ukraine, to an independent Ukraine in the respect of international law through diplomacy? This is what we need to be looking okay. at. That, re that, requires, that requires Russia wanting to negotiate with Ukraine. And this is not something that we should make any decisions on. This is something that they should, decisions they should make in Kiev. Well, we're supporting them, so we've got something to say. No, we don't. Ukraine decides about their sovereignty and when they decide that they want peace with Russia. So there's no conditions whatsoever on our behalf? We just do what they say? We're governed from Kiev now? We're not governed from Kiev, but we're supporting Kiev for yeah. Ukraine. Blindly, without any reflection. That's more than the United States I do. I think we're going to have to call it to, a, to an end there. You guys can continue debating inside the chamber or outside the chamber. We will. Um, to, your, to your heart's content. It's been really, really interesting having three of you, three completely different political perspectives with us today. And thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Was thank you very much. Thanks again to Eddie for hosting that fascinating debate in Strasbourg. And that's all the time we have on this episode of EU Confidential. Be sure to follow the podcast on your favourite app so you never miss an episode. And remember, as always, you can email us feedback or ideas for guests or topics. The email address is podcast at politico.eu. Thanks this week to our senior producer, Diana Sturis, Ellen Bonin on production, and our executive producer for audio, Christina Gonzalez. I'm Suzanne Lynch. Next week, we're heading to New York for the UN General Assembly. See you then. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.